All right. Well, this uh, on this episode of the Articulate Fly, we're lucky to have Captain Matt Miles from Central Virginia. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you for having me. Well, I know you're a busy man. You just got back from your travels, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, but first, I ask all of my guests to talk a little bit about their earliest fishing memory. In my earliest memory, I'm thinking I was around five or six um, with my dad on the James River standing on the side of the bank. And I remember hooking the one of the biggest smallmouth <laughs> and uh my dad seeing the fish come out of the water and literally taking the rod away from me thinking i can't fight it and he ended up losing the fish so that's the that's the one memory that really stuck in my head <laughs> and and when did you um you make the jump to fly fishing um i made the jump to fly fishing about age 15 um i didn't you know my father doesn't fly fish I really didn't have any family that did, um, but I had a buddy that had one, had a rod, and we would do a lot of pond fishing, and he broke it out one day, and it really interested me, and, um, you know, went from there, um, asked for, you know, fly rod for Christmas, and and my birthday is really close to Christmas, so I ended up getting a fly tying kit um, first, and actually learned how to tie flies from a VHS tape. I realize there's probably a lot of people that may hear this that don't know what that is. And uh ended up getting my first fly rod at Christmas a few, few weeks later. Cool. So, you know, I know there are not a lot of fly shops in Central Virginia, particularly when you were 15 years old. Where did you get all your gear and kind of um, flies and leader and tippet and all that sort of stuff? Well, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was really hard. Uh, I mean, there was really nothing around here so a lot of times i mean you know we use a lot of tapered leaders and everything then i was just using straight mono whatever size i had um and flies that i you know tried to to, you know tie Uh, so there wasn't a whole lot around here um I, i really knew very little about fly fishing I taught myself how to cast from watching a video that Mel Krieger did that my mom bought me, um, which uh, Mel Mel Krieger passed away some time ago, but great instructor. And I actually had the chance to actually go to an instructing school with Mel Krieger later in life and a real nice guy. So that's how I learned how to fly cast. I learned in the backyard and uh, had really no idea what, flies were supposed to look like other than the five that the video taught me how to do and i uh changed them all around and uh caught brook trout on them so you know i was uh hooked for life after that and uh you mentioned mel and you talked about your dad um who are some other mentors in your fishing life um i really i really enjoyed um reading uh gary borger's books um uh, I don't know what, you know, what struck me to, to Gary Border, but he, he was a, I like the way he explained things and kind of got a little scientific about it. And so he was one of the early guys that I'd read and learned things from. And then um, the biggest change in my life was meeting my good friend, Pat Dorsey in Colorado. Um, I learned a lot very quickly um, from being on the water with him. And, uh, so those are the two main guys 
um, for sure. Um, and I'd say Pat had the biggest influence on, on um, me, you know, getting to where I am now anyways. Yeah. And, and I know we've talked about this before, but I mean, you literally graduated from high school and headed out West, right? I did. I graduated from high school, worked for three months, saved every penny I could, and uh, had a 1984 S10 truck with a uh, camper shell that didn't match, put a bit inside of it, and drove 1,600-plus miles to somewhere I've never been in my life, uh, never been further west than uh, West Virginia until that day when I was you know, 18 years old. and. Um, Lived in the camper shell for a couple of weeks before I found a, a, a uh, apartment I could afford, and uh, so it was quite the experience. Yeah, that's a that's a real adventure to be 18 years old. And when did you decide when you were in high school that you wanted to be a fly fishing guide? Well, honestly, it wasn't in high school. Um, all I knew in high school is I didn't want to go to college, and I wanted to get out of Virginia. I wanted to see something new. Um, I actually had, uh, it's pretty funny. I actually had the, the thought of maybe becoming a pro snowboarder, um, moving to Colorado. And it's pretty funny because when I get to Colorado, I end up living in a small town called Granby, which is literally right near the headwaters of the Colorado river. And I'm driving around looking at the area and I'm like, Oh my God, there's a Colorado river and I saw a place I could fish and, um, I still snowboarded then, but that idea of maybe getting to that pro level kind of went away and I ended up fishing more than anything. And, um, so that, that's why I moved out there. It was really just the, the snowboarding. It wasn't the fishing and, um, it changed very quickly. You know, once I was there, I realized where I was you know, what, what kind of opportunity I had to catch fish. So, so you meet Pat and did you start guiding with him at blue quill straight away? Or was there a jump before you got to blue quill anglers? So this is a a pretty good little story. Um, I was living off my tax returns. This was my first spring in Colorado and I had about a, I don't know, a few weeks, maybe a month's timeframe from, you know, starting a new job, which was going to be working for a log home builder. And, uh, I was fishing every day, pretty much every day on the Williams Fork river or the Colorado river. And I kept seeing this guy, this tall, lanky guy, um, always with a couple people. And I really didn't even know what a fishing guy was at the time, but I figured it out pretty quick. That's what he was. And we would, you know, he saw me a bunch so, you know, we just exchanged words and, you know, chit-chatted on the river. And um, all summer went, you know, summer went by. I think it was like September. I'm walking up the river and I see Pat sitting under the cedar tree eating his lunch with his clots. And I walked up to him and I just said, hey, you know, I, I don't know if you have any need for another fishing guide, but I think it's something I'd like to do. And he said, well, you know, we'll talk. And so we ended up doing some fishing together and he didn't think at the time he could keep me busy. So he actually ended up sending me to Elk Trout Lodge, which is no longer in existence, but it was a very infamous lodge at one time. And, um, I ended up getting hired there 
because one of their gods was leaving. Their, actually, I think it was their head god was leaving. And after about a month of, of, of getting the job, I got a phone call saying, sorry, Matt, head god decided to come back. I really don't have any room for you. So it was kind of heartbreaking. So I called Pat and said, look, this is what happened. And he said, look, we'll do, I'll try to keep you as busy as I, busy as I can. And at the time, Pat was on his own. He, well, he had a partner named Mark Lacurto. And they had a company called Master Angler. And uh, so it was me, Mark, and Pat. So I was 20, I think, years old. And I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. And I was doing something I extremely loved. And uh, Pat kept me plenty busy. And um, so it was it was a pretty neat experience. To, you know, never really thought about being a fishing guide until, you know, catching a lot of fish and being around another guides and, and seeing what they do. I was like, man, I can do this. So that's how, how it ended up. You know, I didn't go to any guide school. Uh, I don't even think they existed then. And you just learned from your, from your mentor or your, your fellow guides, how to be a fishing guide. And that's, that's what I did. And, um, it was, it was, a uh, you know, kind of glad the way it worked out. It was a great experience. That's really cool. So how long did you guide out in Colorado with Pat? Uh, six years. Um, so first two years we were master angler, you know, um, and then, um, I, I started going home during the winter. I'd come back to Virginia, got to where I didn't care about snowboarding that much. And I got tired of the long winter. So I would actually come home, see family, see friends. And, um, I got a phone call from Pat saying, Hey, I'm thinking I'm going to buy into the blue quill. Cause Jim and Martha Cannon, which had run the Blue Quill for years, they didn't own it, were going to buy it from the old owner, and they wanted Pat as a partner. They wanted Pat to come back. So he called me and told me what was going on, and he said, I may have to take a pay cut, and but he said, your trips are going to increase dramatically. I said, okay, I'm with you. you know. And uh, it was a really good move for him and me. Um, Loved working for the store because when I needed flies, I walked in with a fly box and I just started dumping flies that, you know, forgot it trips because beforehand, I mean, every evening me and Pat would sit down and tie flies. I mean, two, three dozen at night just to do the next day's trip. And now I didn't have to do that. And it, it was really nice. You know, all my leaders, uh, tip it and all that stuff was supplied and then I didn't, you know, I didn't have the cost coming out of my pocket and I didn't have to spend all night time fly. So it was, it was awesome working for the store and Jim and Martha have sold the store since the book Wangler. And, but they were some of the greatest people I've ever worked for in my life. They're awesome people. So, so when did you wind down in Colorado and come back East? Um, it was, uh, summer of 2003. Uh, <laughs> I hate to admit it, but it's funny. You know, I met a girl, I met a girl, uh, the winter I was home and it was right after the Heyman fire, which was the largest fire in Colorado history. It was a very stressful year for us guiding. It was the busiest I've ever been, but I was having to drive a lot, uh, because the Heyman fire happened on the Platte, Cheeseman Canyon, Deckers, 
all that area. So it was basically closed off and that was our home water. So I was having to drive, um, an hour and a half to two hours a lot to just do a guide trip. And, um, unfortunately it kind of burnt me out. Um, in, in one way it burnt me, burnt me out. I was tired, but, you know, meeting, uh, a woman I liked in Virginia and leaving her behind to go back to guiding, you know, it, it, it made me change my mind or how I felt about, uh, guiding. And so it was a hard decision. Um, definitely some, uh, <laughs> tears were shed, but, uh, we, uh, you know, I parted ways and, uh, came back to Virginia and, um, and got a job at an excavating company you know, moving dirt and, uh, worked part-time for many years, guiding for various people and myself, um, um, when I came back home. Yeah. And and, and so how long did you guide part-time before you, um, you launched the Matt Miles fly fishing full-time? Well, so I'm launched Matt Miles fly fishing and, uh, started the business in 2012. Um, with actually hopes of leaving my job and doing it full time, but the money was just too good. And thankfully, uh, I definitely mean that thankfully technology knocked me out of my position at the phone company I was working for. And my lovely wife, um, when I called her that morning to tell her I was laid off, um, I said, what do you want me to do? I said, I got another offer with a different company. And she said, I want you to run your, your God business. And of course I said, I love you, ran home, I cleaned the house, made her dinner. I did everything I could to make that decision stick. And, um, so 2013, um, I believe it was March of 2013. I went full time with Matt Miles fly fishing. That's awesome. And what are the biggest differences between guiding out West and guiding back in the East? Um, guiding here, we don't have an influx of tourism that's the biggest difference. Um, and, but the, the one, one of the wonderful things about Virginia is we, I can work year round. Um, obviously I'm going to be slower in the winter months. Um, but I can work year round. Um, I don't need another job. Um, but I think as a fishing guide, you have to work a lot harder in Virginia to get business because you don't have that tourism of people coming to the Rockies. I mean, a lot of people that, and I'm not picking on people when I say this, a lot of people come out to the Colorado, you know, all those Western States and they see fly fishing. They want to try it and they never have. So I actually believe you see a lot more beginners out West than you do here. Um, I, I mean, I do guide beginners, uh, but I see way more experienced anglers than, than, than beginners. Um, which is nice. I don't mind guiding beginners at all, but <laughs> experienced anglers, it's, it's, it's great to have, um, as well. And, uh, so it, it's a lot more work, you know, you have to, you know, with the, today's age with the internet and Google and social media and all that stuff, it's a lot of work to be a fishing guide. It's, it's nuts. Um, when I was in Colorado, Blue Quill, they took every trip for me. You know, they called me, said, Matt, you're off this day. We just put you down for such and such, you know? So they did all the advertising. They did all the work. Now I have to do all the work and, um, with a family and when I'm real busy, it can be, you know, a little hectic, 
you know, spending half the night on the computer or the phone, answering phone calls, answering emails. But I love every second of it. I don't regret anything. Interesting. And so what would you say is the biggest misconception people have about the life of a fishing guide? Um, well, there's a few, I think. Um, I think sometimes they, people look at it as a hobby, <laughs> which is the most irritating of all, um, because it's not a hobby to me. Um, it's my way of life, way I make my living. Um, but I also think people don't realize how hard we work. Um, just to give an example, majority of my days are 12 or 13 hours. That's preparation for the next day's trip, whether it's washing boats, cleaning stuff, getting flies tied, um, making sure rods are ready to go into the grocery store, buying lunch, buying drinks, making lunch. Um, and then you're on the water all day, then you come home, and then you have to answer emails, send pictures to your clients. And, and, and so the days are long. Um, so you really got to love it because it's, it's hard work, you know, especially when you're doing it on your own. If you got an outfitter, you know, like a big fly shop doing most of that for you, it's a little bit different. But, you know, I, I don't think people really realize how hard of a living this is. And I tell you what, this year is a hard year. Record rains in Virginia. I lost a lot of work. Um, so, you know, that's that's the thing in this business. You got to be ready. You got to be ready to lose it because it doesn't take much it takes a couple big storms and you're done for a while and um thankfully we have a lot of waters in virginia and i got creative and i was able to work um a lot of the time but i have lost a, a ton of work this year well let's hope let's hope the fall and the winter uh a little bit drier um you know we can make use of all that water we got this summer um i know you're an orvis endorsed guide uh when did you start uh being an Orvis endorsed guide and kind of what does that mean and what's the process of becoming Orvis endorsed? Well, my first, the first time I was an Orvis endorsed guide was because of Blue Cool Angler. Um, when I went, when I followed Pat to the Blue Cool Angler, they were already endorsed. They had the Rocky Mountain Fly Fishing School. Um, so that was my first experience with it. And then after I went full time in Virginia, I felt like I needed an edge, you know, yes, I've been guy a long time, but a lot of it was part time. And, um, but I needed something to get my name out and yeah, you can spend money on Google and stuff like that, but I tried that and it didn't work that great. So I called Dorsey, Fat Dorsey and said, Hey, what do you think? You think I should try the worst endorsement? He goes, man, I think it'd be really benefit you. So, um, the guys I knew on the Western end of things with Orvis are different from the East coast. So you have the Western endorsed operations, you have East coast endorsed operations. So I had to talk to the guys here, um, send letters. Of, I had to have letters of recommendations from clients. And then basically after that, they would come fishing with you and you basically guided them like they were paying clientele. And they look at everything from how clean's your boat, how clean's your car, are you a mess or not? You know, are you 
clean enough? Do you smell? I mean, they, 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 <laughs> they, you know, they look at everything because their, their name's on it. You know, it's a, it's a partnership endorsement. And so if they're going to send clients your way, they want to make sure they're sending their customers to someone that's going to represent them well. And, um, and that's basically how it works. You know, if you get the endorsement and, and it's, it's a great thing. Um, you know, a lot of people have made fun of Orvis over the years and this and that and Orvis endorsed guides. And I don't get it because they're the only company that really pushes their guides that really helps them get work. And they do, they help you get work. Um, you build a relationship with, uh, store managers and fishing managers and, you know, you got the website, the website influence. And I mean, I had a guy from New York city call me yesterday wanting to come fishing with me in Virginia of all places. Like, why are you flying over PA <laughs> and all these other States for trout to fish with me? And he found me from the website, you know, the Orvis website. So, um, it's a great tool. I, uh, I like the company. Um, they're, you know, I'll enjoy their equipment. Um, yeah, I don't really have anything bad to, to ever say about the endorsement. Uh, it's a, it's a great, great tool. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of the Oris endorsement. That's great. And I know, you know, one of the blessings of being in central Virginia is you have an opportunity to really guide for a lot of different species on a lot of different waters. Um, and I know it allows you to guide year round. And so I guess right now you've got what smallmouth is kind of winding down and you what bridge into trout before you get to muskie. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could jump into muskie, um, right now if you wanted to, but, um, I typically wait till November, uh, once the temperatures really start to cool off. But, um, yeah, the trout is kind of what people are really wanting to do right now. Um, I'm, you know, finishing up some smallie trips. I got a few more to go and, uh, I'm going to fish it as long as I feel like it's worthwhile. Um, but usually, yeah, I'm usually in, I'm usually quitting smallmouth about, about this time of year. And, um, if we, if we keep warm temperatures, I'll kind of, I'll kind of keep going, um, with it as much as I can. I had a great trip today for smallmouth. So, um, but yeah, I'll move into trout. I'll fish trout through fall, winter, into spring. I'll usually quit trout fishing come June. Um, guide for muskie typically October through to about the second week of March. And then I'm back on trout. And then I have a striper run, a uh, striped bass run that comes up out of a lake. And then I have another one I do um, that's a saltwater run. Um, so that's April, May time frame. And then once, um, once the striper runs kind of done around, around that third week of Mar uh, May, I will make the switch to smallmouth and I'll stick with it. Smallmouth all summer long. Um, unless I just have a diehard trout guy and the conditions are good, then I'll do it. But other than that, I, I love smallmouth. They're my favorite fish and, um, I'll stick with those fish as much as I can. And so for and folks, start the whole, yeah, and lather, rinse, repeat, right? Uh, yes. And so for folks that uh, aren't familiar with Central Virginia, talk a little bit about the rivers uh, that you like to fish. And I know you you float fish most, but you will wait. You will do some wade trips for trout. 
Yeah, I will do way trips. Uh, it's um, uh, I don't want to sound lazy, but I really love floating. I think the money that um, you pay a guide, um, you know, guides aren't cheap. It, it's worth the float. You know, if even if if you're a diehard wage fisherman, it's worth it's worth taking a float trip because it's so easy. It's, it's a lot easier on the body than slipping and sliding. You get to see so much more water. You get to get to water that everyone else doesn't get to. Um, so I, I do probably ninety eight percent is float trips, um, whether that's in my drift boat, raft, or my jet boat, depending on what I'm doing. Um, but I will do some waiting if that's what's requested. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess you, I guess you've got, right. You like to, you like to float the Jackson for trout. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, the rivers in my area, you know, and you say Central Virginia. I mean, I do travel out of Central Virginia to guide. Um, but my main rivers for trout are the Jackson and the Smith. Those are my two largest rivers. Um, there's Bukus, you know, Brookie streams. Uh, I don't really have any requests for that, but it's there. Um, and then uh, there's some special reg streams like uh, South, um, special reg of Buffalo Creek, uh, South River. And then my Bass Rivers, I have many. I have, uh, I live literally 15 minutes from the James. Um, I live 15 minutes from the Stanton, which is, so I don't confuse people, is the Roanoke River. It just changes names to a portion of our state. Um, the Mari River is uh, about 45 minutes from my house. Um, and then I don't do a lot of guiding on the new anymore, but I used to the new over towards, uh, Rafford in that area as well. So there's a lot of water, um, and a lot of choices. And that's what I like about that is I know all this water, you know, um, I fished all my life other than the time I spent in Colorado. And, um, it, it enables me to say, well, this is not fishing good or this got blown out. I can take you here and give you a good day. And I think that's important, you know, being versatile, um, knowing more than one, one stretch of water. And the thing with me, though, is I get bored. Like, like I hate driving home the same way every day. <laughs> so it's the same with the rivers. If, if, you know, if I have to fish the same stretch day in, day out, it's going to get boring to me. So I like the being on different rivers because they fish differently. It keeps you on your toes. You learn more. And um, it's just a lot more fun to me to have more water. I'm not the kind of guy that wants to be on one river all the time. Yeah, you know what amazes me, you know, since I grew up in in Lynchburg, uh, too, is how much cleaner the rivers are now than when I was a kid. I mean, I'm just astounded every time I go out and float, um, you know, with, you know, cleaning up the paper mills and getting some of that heavy industry off the river, you know, what it's done to improve the water quality. Yeah, it's, um, our rivers are beautiful. And, you know, I have people call me wanting to do trout, and I said, well, you know, this is not a good time of year, but, you know, bass is definitely, you know, smallmouth bass is definitely the thing. And, and, you know, some people take me up on it and love it, and some people won't at all. They have, I'm not sure if they have, like, the wrong impression of our rivers, but our rivers are beautiful. And fishing for smallmouth bass from a drift boat, 
especially throwing poppers. It's, it's just not much that's much better than that. I mean, it's just like throwing big hoppers to brown trout all day out west or something. Um, so if you haven't tried smallmouth bass, you really need to. It's um, it's beautiful out here. Um, there's not really an ugly river I know of that I guide on. It's it's all all pretty. Everyone it's everyone that tries it is amazed at how pretty it is. And, you know, the fishery, the fishery, um, you know, the catching, you know, small and stuff like that. They really enjoy it. They just have to be open to try it. Um, and thankfully we don't have a whole lot of just trout people anymore. You know, um, people are more willing to try new things and they should, because the more you do, the more you have like crossover to other things, it's going to help you you know with the species you like to fish for you know the more experience you get with other species it's going to help you all around as an angler um so i really enjoy that about virginia and the diverse you know diversity that we have in this state um i mean i can go to the saltwater in three hours i can fish big reservoirs i can fish rivers i can fish trout i can fish bass i can fish carp musky whatever i want to do it's all here and um, I actually do not regret a lot of people ask me this. I do not regret leaving Colorado, um, at all. Um, all I got it for was for a trout. I mean, that's all I had to do was trout, 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 trout. I like it more than I'm here because every change of the season, I have a new thing to do. And, um, I really enjoy that. It, it, I will, I will never burn out because of that. It's, it's a lot of fun. And you've, and you've added, uh, destination trips to your dance card too. I know you go to the Caribbean now and you host trips to, uh, to South America. I know you just got back. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about your destination trips? Yeah. Um, so currently I'm doing, uh, two, two destinations a year. Um, I really, I like to joke. I really like countries that start with B Belize and Brazil. And, um, so I've done uh, three trips to Belize uh, to a lodge, uh, called turn to flats lodge. Um, I really love the saltwater fishing. Um, it's a, it's really a vacation for me <laughs> because it's, uh, it kind of sparks that, um, you know, when you first start fly fishing, you have so much to learn. And, um, for me in saltwater, you know, because it's not my thing, I'm always learning. And so it really keeps that fire going. And uh, I love saltwater fishing. Um, Belize is great for, you know, high numbers of bonefish. Some people are under the pressure. No, the bonefish are small in Belize, but not where I'm going. There, there's some very nice bonefish. Uh, permit fishing is great. Some of the best in the world. Um, certain times of year tarpon. Uh, definitely when the migrat- you know, migratory tarpon are there. Um, so I love going to Turniff and Belize. And I probably will do it every year for as long as I can handle it. I, I love it. Um going there in two weeks actually. And I already have another trip scheduled for next year. Um and then Brazil is interesting. Um peacock bass is uh it's 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 crazy how life goes sometimes. I got a phone call a year ago from a good friend of mine I used to guide with at the Blue Coil Angler by the name of Michael Williams and Michael and three other people started a company called Nomadic Waters running trips in the Amazon for peacock bass. 
and Michael knows my, you know, history with bass fishing and he really wanted me to come and, and, um, everything. So, you know, it worked out. He, he ended up, uh, getting me down there and it was, it was the most coolest experience I've ever had in my life. I mean, just being out in the middle of nowhere, no roads, no cell phones, no nothing. I mean, it's just, you're in the jungle and it was the neatest experience. We met, you know, met people in the villages, had lunch with them, extremely just nice people. You know, Brazilian people are just wonderful people and they love you being there. They love sharing their culture with you. And the peacock bass is just an amazing fish. Um, it's, uh, basically a smallmouth bass on steroids. It is incredible fish. Um, they have the, um, the hunting honey badger attitude, if you guys know what I mean. So they are a cool fish and, um, pull hard jump pretty. Every one of them is pretty. Every one of them looks different and, um, it's a really neat experience. So I plan to do Brazil. I just got back, uh, my second trip. Um, we actually had a record trip. Um, so the outfitter, we blew all records last week. We landed, I'll go ahead and tell you guys, we landed 1,613 peacock bass in six days with 10 anglers. Wow. 17 pounds was the biggest. Um, a lot of 13s, um, a lot of 10 pounders. Um, it was an incredible week. That was the best, best week they've ever had. And, uh, so it was really cool that my group did that, you know, my group of anglers I took down there, we did that, you know, we, we, we blew, blew the doors off every, (laughs) every other time they, they, they fished this place. So, um, really incredible. Everyone had a great time. Everyone wants to return. And, um, and if you don't mind me saying, I'll just say this, that Brazil is not, if you want to go fishing Brazil, it's not as dangerous as you think it is. It's actually extremely safe when you're with the right people. And uh, Nomadic Waters does it well, and they, they do a good job, and their guides are phenomenal. And uh, quick story, this is funny. This is great. I think it was our third day fishing. We're in this great lake. It's actually where I caught my 15-pounder last year. And we hear a bunch of yelling and hollering, and one of the guys has a big fish on and got stuck in the log. So one of the guys, Caillou, literally doesn't even hesitate, takes his shirt off, jumps in the river, swims all the way underwater, untangles the fish, brings it up. 13-pounder. Not 10 minutes later, same thing happens to another angler, David. Same thing. Caillou jumps in over his head, swims all the way down in the log, gets the fish out, 13-pounder. So these guys are incredible. I mean, they will literally jump in the water with piranha, <laughs> caimans, whatever, and, and, and get these fish out. And so it's, it's an incredible experience um, to go to Brazil. Yeah, and you and, you, uh, you fish out of a houseboat, right? Yeah, we, so we have a – I like to call it a yacht, but I guess it's more like a live-on boat or a live-in boat. Um, wonderful accommodations, though um ac in every room 
you know, toilet, shower, every room, uh, AC in the dining area, AC in the hangout area, hammocks on top if you want to swing in a hammock, uh, fishing off of uh, 18-foot bass trackers, so uh, nice boats. Um, so you pretty much, you know, you're fishing on the, eight, on the, on the bass trackers, uh, and you, and you rest the time you're on the boat eating, drinking, having a good time or sleeping. It's, it's a, it's a, a lot of fun. And the cool thing about that experience is you fish new water every day. That big, the big boat will move during the night or during the day while we're fishing. So we're always going up river and we're always fishing new water. You're not going to fish the same lake or same area, you know, in a week, you know, you're going to do it once and that's it. You're going to fish something new the next day. So, um, really cool experience. And, um, yeah, I, I think, especially if you're a bass angler, I think you really need to put peacock bass at the top of your list to do. Yeah, it's, it, it's really neat experience. And that sounds like it's a trip for a little bit more hardcore angler and maybe not a trip to bring your non-fishing significant other on. Is that right? Maybe better to go to Belize? Yeah, sure. You know, your, your significant other would probably be a little bored unless you love to fish. Um, Belize though, yes, great couples lodge. Um, they offer, uh, an adventure package where you do snorkeling and, um, manatees and dolphins and, and eagle rays. And you do all this cool stuff. You get shells. My wife went with me last year. She absolutely loved it. And they also offer scuba diving. So if you're a big scuba diver, um, or your wife, your girlfriend likes to scuba dive the, you know, the, was it the blue hole? is there and they also offer those packages as well and they also do split packages so if you want to dive half a week fish half a week or vice versa you know it's, it's available uh through them um it's a really cool you know the turn of flats lodge is a really cool lodge it's 30 miles off the coast of belize city on turn of atoll which is chain of islands and reef and it's off the grid you know you're not gonna have cell phone service out there um five-star accommodations great food there is Wi-Fi, um, but you you get the feeling. I mean, it's it's very comfortable, very comfortable. But you do get the feeling that you're out there, which is hard to do, you know, anymore in this world. There's so many places that have been explored and gone to and cell phone towers, but you still get that experience. Like, hey, I'm out here. You know, I don't have to worry about what's going on at home, and um, that's that's a great feeling. And do, do either of the trips cater more to like, you know, all experience levels, beginners, intermediate, or, or are they kind of both about the same? Well, you know, I think with the, with, with Belize, you would have a better, better time if you were a beginner, you know, the guides all speak English. Um, they all know what they're doing and they, they can get you on, especially bonefish. You know, even if you're a 20-foot flycaster, we can get you on bonefish and beliefs. Um, the trip to Brazil, I, you you need to know how to fish. You don't have to be a pro by any means. But you should be able to cast 35, 40 feet. Um, you need to be ready to fish hard. You need to, you know, you, you need to be ready to deal with some heat because it's hot. Um, but it won't much it won't much hotter than this summer here. But um so definitely Belize 
can accommodate more of the less experienced uh, people. And Brazil, you need to you need to have a good idea. You, your casting needs to be fairly good to be to be real successful in Brazil. Um, and 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 if you can cast, I mean, Brazil's an incredible uh, experience because you're going to catch a lot of fish. Um, but definitely Belize is better for the more inexperienced angler. Got it. And so, you know, you'll be fishing through the fall and on, on, on musky in the winter time. Um, but then we're going to be in show season in early 2019. Do you have any appearances on your dance card already? You want to let folks know about? The only show that I, um, I am currently going to be at is the Virginia line in, uh, fly fishing festival in um, Doswell, Virginia. Um, can't quite remember the dates, but it's uh, early January. Yeah, uh, we'll be there again. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll be there again. Yeah, it's the weekend after the Denver show. I think it's the second weekend in January. Um, and I suspect people might see you roaming around in Atlanta or somewhere, some of the other East Coast shows uh, as a tourist maybe. Yeah, I hope so. I'm, I haven't decided if I'm going to make it to Atlanta yet, but I'm definitely going to be at the Virginia show giving a presentation each day on musky, uh, fly fishing for musky. And uh, we'll have a booth there and uh, hope to have some flies and stuff for sale <clears throat> and some info on my hosted trips. Fantastic. And uh, where can folks find you to find out more about your guide service and your trips? Um, well, my website is uh, Matt Miles flyfishing.com um there is plenty of info on there about the rivers i fish uh, my rates uh time of year um you can also find me on instagram at matt, matt miles fly fishing uh twitter at matt miles fly and facebook i have a page matt miles fly fishing um as well um on my website i do have a blog and i try to be on there as much as possible. Uh, not as good as, as it used to be. It used to be a weekly thing. Now it's about every two weeks thing. <laughs> but you can also sign up on my website for my newsletters, which I'm not uh, going to send you two emails a day. It's more like four a year. But it's a good way if I decide to run any specials or talk about my host's trips. That's one way you can uh, hear about these, uh, as long with you know, along with social media as well. Fantastic. And I'll drop all those in the show notes. Uh, Matt, I really appreciate you joining us this evening. Um, everybody, uh, thanks for listening. Um, we'd be great if you could give me a re review in iTunes, uh, let folks know how we're doing. And if you go to the articulatefly.com, you can subscribe to the podcast, the blog, and our newsletter. And you can find this podcast pretty much anywhere podcasts live on the internet. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, uh, and we are on Google Play. Uh, good night, everybody, in tight lines. <laughs>